Good morning. Uh, this is Rich Tracy uh, filling in for Sherry Harrison this morning. Welcome to Law Matters. Uh, Sherry is in the studio to be the uh, net for my trapeze act here. Hopefully things will go well. And uh, also in the studio is uh, one of our member of our board of directors, uh, Vicki, is here. And um, in order to set up our guest for this morning, I want to spend a couple minutes telling you a little bit about me, and hopefully that'll help uh, set up our guest this morning that I'm very honored to have here. Um, I'm a retired uh, assistant chief deputy with the United States Marshal Service. I started my career in Chicago back in 1990, moved to Tucson in 1993, and fell in love with the Southwest and uh, never left and uh, retired at the end of 2017, again, as the assistant chief deputy here in Tucson. So with the name Rich Tracy, I, I went through a good portion of my career with people picking up on the fact that my name was Dick Tracy. Um, I, I usually never even had to bring it up. It took, you know, you could see when the when the light bulb went off that someone realized that here I was, uh, Dick Tracy, and I'd be asked to show my credentials on occasion, and people would ask me if it was true and those kind of things. So while I didn't, uh, I, I didn't always embrace that because, uh, I mean, it, it brought me some notoriety, but I really never embraced it fully because I was simply an imposter because there there was someone that had been known for many years as the real life Dick Tracy, and uh, that person happened to be my father, retired Chicago Police Captain Dick Tracy, who is our guest this morning. So I, I don't know if I should call you Captain Tracy for the sake of the radio audience, or if I should just say good morning, Dad. So good morning, Dad. Thanks, Rich. You can call me Dad. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> So, um, <clears throat> I mean, all the kitchen table conversations we've had over the years and driving on trips, we, we could probably take up the whole day talking about your life, not only before law enforcement, but through law enforcement. And then even in the 20, almost 24 years or more than 24 years that you've been retired. So uh, we'll, we'll get to all of that, I, I, I'm sure. And if anybody out there wants to call in, the number is 790-2040. Please feel free to give us a call and join the conversation. Um, so let's start with your early life, right? So we'll kind of, we'll go from 1934, I'll throw out there, so everybody can do the math. That makes you 87. So kind of kind of walk us through your, your early life as best you can up until your law enforcement career. Well, we lived in a very in a moderate neighborhood in Chicago, and uh, I was raised uh, on the streets. My unfortunately, my mom and dad divorced when I was twelve, and I spent time living with one parent and then with the other. I have a brother eighteen months younger than me, and he uh, also went lived that life also. So, it in one sense it helped us grow up, in the other sense it was devastating which I think divorce usually is, unfortunately. But um, when I got out of high school, I went into the Navy, which I really enjoyed. I had thought at one point that I might want to be a sailor for my career, make a career out of Navy work. I became a third-class petty officer in the Navy, a signalman on an aircraft carrier. And I really, really enjoyed that work. But I was 19 and I was third-class and the officer did not want to recommend, recommend me for second class. And I had a conversation with him, and I said, why not? I says, I, you, I, think, I think you know I'm qualified. He said, yes, I think you're qualified, but you're too young. Well, I figured I, because of that, I decided to get out of the Navy 
because I wasn't going to let people like that run my life. <laughs> so I got out, became a policeman, uh, got out in 52, 53, and became a policeman in 56. Uh, I drove a truck for a while and did some other small jobs, waiting for my name to be called on the police list. And that brings us to the second um, part of this conversation. Well, let me let me just interrupt because I want to say a couple things about I remember you talk about being from a modest neighborhood in Chicago. I remember going back to the 80s. I was having a conversation with uh, with grandma, with with, with your mom. Uh, once and and we got into this story about where you all had lived because I, I wasn't really sure I, I knew generally where you lived so grandma started listing all the places that you lived and number one I was fascinated by two things number one was her recollection of all the places that you lived and number two was how many of them you lived in right so she she eventually said to me she said she says, boy, come to think of it, we probably moved every time the rent came due. Right, so. I remember those days. <laughs> Which, again, was kind of a, a hearkening back to your to your modest uh, modest beginning. So tell us a little bit about the aircraft carrier you were on and the historical significance of that, if you don't mind. Not at all. Um, when I was in the Navy, I was first assigned as a signalman to an LST. We did an operation in the North Atlantic off of Greenland, and then I came back to... Uh, Norfolk, walked across the uh, yard, and I was being transferred to a uh, an aircraft carrier, which I'd never heard of. And I found out then that it was the, called the Antietam, A-N-T-I-E-T-A-M, and it was in dry dock in New York in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. And they were putting the angle flight deck on the aircraft carrier. And it turns out we were the first aircraft carrier in the world with the angled flight deck. That um, the English had designed it, but they couldn't afford to do it. But of course, Uncle Sam could afford it. So we put, after I was on it for about six months while they were building the deck, we went over to, then we went over to Bayonne, New Jersey, where they put the superstructure back together because we couldn't get out under the Brooklyn Bridge with, uh, with the superstructure on the carrier. Then we left uh, Bayonne and went over to England and had trials on the um, touch-and-goes on the aircraft carrier using a lot of English planes. We were off the coast of Portsmouth, England. Got to make a couple of trips up to London while, I was, while, I, while this was going on on Liberty and things like that. Well, this angle flight that turned out to be such a success that every carrier after that was built with an angle flight deck. And a lot of carriers the same size as the Antietam, not all of them, but a lot of them were also given an angle flight deck because the, the main advantage of it was planes could land and, and take off at the same time without running into one another. Mm. I, before that, they used to put wires across the, across the deck and a landing plane would run into the wire and usually damage the plane. But this solved that problem. And of course, every once in a while, we'd lose a plane that would come in hot and not make the deck and maybe go over the side. But um, as far as I know, we never lost a, a pilot. But I do remember uh, some planes being 
it gone into this gone into the sea. So, so your first uh, your your first foray into being around something that was historic. We'll we'll touch on that as we go along. There's there's a few more throughout the throughout the course of your career that that we'll that we'll discuss. So, you came back to Chicago after getting out of the Navy. I know you had a you had a few a few jobs. You, you referenced those, and you also at that point, if I recall, found your your passion for a hobby, and you became uh, you became what an amateur magician. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, actually, I was I was I liked magic even before I went into the Navy. When I got out, I I did practice some magic, but when I became a policeman. My job became too encompassing that I virtually had to give it up. I've always kept it as a hobby and an interest, and I'm very active in the Magic Club here in Tucson, but um, just as a hobby. Right, right, right. I, I know there's still some card tricks that you taught me over the years that I've I've used in certain establishments and with friends that I've impressed people with. My I'm not nearly as good at it as you ever were, but I, I did learn a couple of the tricks from you that I've used. So, um, all right, so... In May of 1956, you get hired by the Chicago Police Department. So, you know, given given the way law enforcement has evolved, just tell us a little bit about what the academy was like and what your first assignment was and what your initial training was as a brand-new police officer. The, the Chicago Police Department, as I remember it, when you became a policeman and were sworn in, you went to a, a basic training course that lasted about 16 weeks. And uh, then when you got done with that course, you went out on this, you got assigned to some district or uh, where you would be either walking a beat or put in a squad car um, working the street. And I did that for a short time and became a detective at a very early age, mostly because of I was very young appearing, which was another advantage besides the name Dick Tracy was uh, not looking like a policeman. And I became what later became known in, in the law enforcement world as a narc. So I was <laughs> buying, I like to say I was buying drugs for the city of Chicago. And then later on when I was assigned to the state's attorney's office as a detective, I was uh, buying uh, drugs for the county. And uh, that went that went very well. We had some excellent excellent uh narcotic seizures and arrests so if i uh, the reason why i'm in i had a career in law enforcement is because math is not my thing but if i did the math correctly you became a police officer not long after your 22nd birthday just a few months after your 22nd birthday and how old were you when you became a detective um let's see it was probably about four years later Okay, so you were a detective at, at age 26 or so. Yeah, maybe even less than that. Yeah, 26. Now, I, I remember a story you told a long time ago about uh, being being on a bench in a... Or, or tell us how you... Tell us how you became or how you interviewed, let, uh, let's say, for a detective about sitting on the, the bench in the station dressed in a certain way and how you worked your way into... So why don't you tell us that? Okay. I hope I didn't give too much of the story away, but I'm trying to well, tee thing, it up a little the, bit. Yeah, the thing was, I, I developed an interest in... in uh, there was a young lady in our neighborhood that became a drug addict. 
and she was became a prostitute. She was grew up with us, and I couldn't understand what would cause somebody that I knew to do that. So I tried to find out what I could about drugs, and I bought a book called Man with a Golden Arm and another book at that, at that time, and I, I read about what the drug world was at least perceived to be by those, by those authors. And what I decided to do was go down to the narcotics section, ask to see the captain, and tell him I'd like to work on narcotics. And of course, being young appearing, I dressed in an old outfit with sloppy jeans and the shirt was kind of dirty and messy and I wanted to make sure I looked the role that I was going to play if I was going to buy drugs, which is what, which is a lot of what that was all about was playing that role. And actually, the captain, I walked in, I talked to the captain and I, I remember him well. I unfortunately forgot his name, but... Um, his son also became a police captain in Chicago. And he. Uh, I went in and I was interviewed by him. And he said, all right, go on back out to that bench and I'll be with you in a little while. Well, the first thing I found out later was he called personnel to make sure there was a Dick Tracy on the department <laughs> so that it, I wasn't some guy being put over on him by people that worked for him. <laughs> so, they thought it was a joke. Yeah, he thought yeah, it might have been a was, joke, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, then, then I guess he sa- he satisfied himself that I was the real thing, and took me over to the chief of detec- detectives' office. We walked over there, and uh, uh, then I was kind of a short interview with the chi- chief of detectives, and for a brand new policeman, this was pretty significant. So. The uh, chief looked at me and he said, do you want to be in the narcotics uh, division? I said, that's not up to me. That's up to the captain. I, he says, yeah, but do you want to do it? I says, yeah, I would like to do it. So I was assigned to narcotics and did that for two years. Yeah, I always thought uh, you're dressing to impress in that scenario is not what people would generally think of as dressing you know, dressing for an interview. So no, you're right. You, you, this was this was more like uh, an acting role. Yeah, but but it, but you were dressing to impress nonetheless, yeah, right? Exactly. Exactly. Again, if you want to join the conversation, we're at seven nine zero two zero four zero. I'm here talking with uh, the real life Dick Tracy, Captain Dick Tracy, retired from the Chicago Police Department, who also happens to be my father. Uh, we'll talk a little bit later about you accepting the role as being the real-life Dick Tracy and how you did that somewhat somewhat reluctantly. So why don't you go ahead and and uh, and kind of go through that a little bit about, you know, how, how you, the role of the real-life Dick Tracy became part of your life, whether, quite frankly, whether you liked it or not. Well, that, 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 that's true. For example, one of the things that happened to me was I was working with partners and they had recovered some drugs. This was before I was even out on the street making my own buys. So they gave me the drugs. And they told me to take it down and inventory it. So I took the drugs down and went to inventory it. And once again, being young and appearing, the guy behind the desk wanted to see some identification. So he said, and what's your name? And, and I made the mistake of telling him it was Dick Tracy. 
and he grabbed me by the collar and was going to throw me out of the office <laughs> until I had to take my ID card out from behind my badge and show him that my name really was Richard Tracy. I really was assigned to the narcotics section, and I really needed to have these drugs inven- inventoried. So, I mean, the name, the name was, of course, because it was my name, it was part of me. And it, and I, I could I guess I couldn't be anything other than a policeman because of the name being yeah. part of the influence of be, wanting to do police work and joining the police department for the reason of locking people up as opposed to the other two reasons why people become policemen. And what are those? Well, I, I see them as one is to perform public service and all the golden stuff that you hear about policemen, which which is true. A lot of people do that. And then the third one is to have a job. Fair enough. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's that that is a that is, that is a pretty good reason. So um let's just digress just for a second. And I wanna you you said that the I remember you saying once the impact that the Dick Tracy comic strip had on on you growing up and how Grandpa, how your father used that to, to kind of mold you in, in that life on the streets that he knew you were living. So why don't we just mention that just a little bit? I, I should have asked that earlier. I apologize. Right. I, yeah, we jumped ahead a little bit there. A- actually, that's all true also because uh, but because my name was Dick Tracy, and I was at, now you're talking about when I was 10 or 11, 12 years old, uh, I used to actually cut out parts of the comic books that were minute mysteries that had a mystery on it and then down in the corner you turn it upside down you solve the problem and I would make a scrapbook of that. So I had a scrapbook of minute mysteries I had Dick Tracy comic strips that I would cut out of the paper and paste into scrapbooks because I was I knew I was not the comic character but I knew I w- that was my name. So it, I I believe then that I was influenced very much into a life in law enforcement from that, and was able to was able through the, my progression to I think be successful in my career. Okay, so now fast forward. Now you're in the narcotics section. Do, do, you, do you have a particular case that stands out? You just kind of want to review, or you know there 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 was one case, but it is very difficult to because I don't know about mentioning names even okay, at yeah. this late date, but. Um, we we worked out because of my young appearance. I was able to work my way up a chain of command in uh, a narcotics uh, dealer's outfit in Chicago, which was not elaborate like Donny Brasco, but it was a similar type function. And we got what was then a person of a non-street guy. This guy was not, I don't want to mention a a. Um, uh, nationality, but he was a non a non drug addict, strictly buying drugs, bringing it into the country, and we got him locked up, and that was probably my best case. He did twenty years because of uh, our involvement in that case. Okay, now t- tell us a little bit about. Uh, I remember quotes over the years of uh, prisoners at Stateville, which is a penitentiary in uh, Joliet, Illinois, for those of you listening that don't know what the, the reference, but uh, tell us a little bit about what was going on in uh, 
<laughs> in on the cell blocks in Stateville. That's, that's interesting because that came back to me too through the chain of command or or the street was that um, they used to joke about being locked up by Dick Tracy. So they, I, I mean, they knew it wasn't a joke, but uh, after. I don't know how they even knew my name was Dick Tracy because that's not what you tell somebody when you lock them up. But they, they, it wasn't a secret, and people would comment on that. Yeah. All right. So you, you do the narcotics, uh, the, the narcotics section for quite a while, and then you become a sergeant. So why don't you talk? Or, or correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you got promoted to sergeant at the age of twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. So at the time, you were probably one of the youngest, if not the youngest, person to be promoted to sergeant in the department? Um, in the entire Chicago Police Department, which has thousands of sergeants, I only know of two that were younger than me that were promoted to sergeant. Okay. And they, they both became captains, as I did eventually. So what was your first assignment as a sergeant? My first assignment, I'm trying to remember exactly... I, I remember I went to a, a district station as a supervisor, and uh, we used to call it kind of derogatorily a, a ghetto cop. In other words, it was a minority neighborhood, and we would uh, it would be my job to supervise as many as 10 or 12 people on any given shift that I worked. Okay. And then uh, at some point, you wind up at the training academy as an instructor. Right. I was a sergeant. I, I did that too. I was trying. I was looking for ways that I was going to learn and grow and develop and and try to, through determination and persistence, becomes a what I would uh, guess to be a uh, a success in my career. And I thought that there were two things that I could do that would enhance that, and one would be an instructor in the academy, and the other would be a member of 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 um, the part of the department that actually makes up, makes up the forms for general orders. So the opportunity came where there was a vacancy in the training academy, and I went down and interviewed for that and was hired as a, uh, or assigned as a uh, instructor in the academy. Okay, and, and how long did you, uh, how long did you do that? About a year, year and a half. Okay, and where where'd you go from there? I went back into the street, and then made and then made lieutenant. Okay. Well, what we'll what we'll do is I think we'll uh, it's uh, almost uh, twenty eight minutes past the hour. We'll go ahead and we'll take a break real quick, and we'll come back and talk about what you did as a sergeant and what happened to us uh, to the family then. Okay. This is Deputy Chuke with Pima County Search and Rescue. Save your phone's battery life, so when you get lost, we may contact you. Wearing bright colors that can be seen from a distance helps the effort. This is a rescue, not a scavenger hunt. This is Nathan Chabin, producer for Law Matters. I have a goal to reach and I need your help. I want to put the DEA out of business. That's right, the Drug Enforcement Agency. If you have an addiction problem or know someone who does, please reach out to lawmatters1030.org and click the DEA tab for more information. Reaching out is the first step. We have the resources if you have the will. You can beat this demon and help me put the Drug Enforcement Agency out of business. This is Deputy Chuke with Pima County Search and Rescue. Save your phone's battery life so when you get lost, we may contact you. 
Wearing bright colors that can be seen from a distance helps the effort. This is a rescue, not a scavenger hunt. It's Mark from Law Matters, and I'm asking you to join us in our 1030 campaign. 1030 is code for unnecessary use of radio. Keep our radio show free from unnecessary advertising by visiting lawmatters1030.org and click the 1030 campaign button. Your monthly tax-deductible donation of $10.30 will allow us to broadcast public service announcements instead of advertisements. Visit lawmatters1030.org and sign up today. To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to 233-733. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook. This is Amy, a volunteer with Pima County Search and Rescue. Before you head out, turn your location app on in your smartphone, then power that phone off until you need it. And in an emergency, you will need a fully charged phone. We're back. Uh, this is uh, Rich Tracy. I'm here with uh, my father, retired Chicago Police Captain Dick Tracy. And during the break, we realized Sherry's been getting a number of texts uh, saying, where are you today? So I thought I said at the top of the show that she was here. So Sherry, at least let everybody know that you're here and doing well, please. I'm not that well. <laughs> well, that, that's probably a that's probably a topic for a whole other show. So we'll we'll, uh, we'll, we'll put that on the topic list for, for some show in the future. Uh, but again, uh, if you'd like to join us in the conversation, um, uh, the number to call is 790-2040. And again, I'm here with Captain Dick Tracy. And before the break, we you, you we were talking about you being a police sergeant, how you had, you know, that the going to the training academy was a means for you to improve yourself and improve your career. So at some point, you decided to take a giant leap at a relatively young age. So why don't you go ahead and tell us about that? Okay. When I was a sergeant, I was doing a lot of reading about command and supervisory books to help to once again once again to help develop my career i didn't want to stop as a sergeant i wanted to move on and or up and i had the opportunity to uh uh make application for several police departments as a chief at a very young age and wound up being selected by the town of Pottstown, pennsylvania as their chief of police I actually took a leave from Chicago as a sergeant, went to Pennsylvania, and became a police chief for five years in the town of Pottstown. So we, we loaded up the truck, and we moved from Chicago to Pottstown, Pennsylvania, right, which is a suburb of Philadelphia that now it's essentially, you know, one of the collar suburbs. But back in those days, I seem to, you know, my, my memories of going to Philadelphia was it was almost like a day trip because it was, you know, two-lane roads and all that going going to uh, Philadelphia. Right, we were up at the far end of the county. Right, right, right. In Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, it's the home of uh, Mrs. Smith's Pies and Kiwi Shoe Polish, for any reference, uh, anybody there. So... How old were you when you became a police chief? Uh, that was in 67. It was, I think, 33. Right. You would have been probably just a, just 33 and, a, and some odd months. Right. About to become 34. Okay. 
So we, we moved to Pottstown, and you assumed the role of police chief in Pottstown. How large of a department was Pottstown in those days? We, including all the ranks and the civilians, we probably had a staff total of about 25. Okay, and what was the population of Pottstown? 25,000, if I recall, somewhere well, in there? it was less than that at the okay. time, but I would say it was about eighteen or 19,000, and it got up to 25,000. Uh, while I was still there. Okay, and so as the chief of police in Pottstown, I, I, you know, you're, I'll say celebrity for lack of a better word, but your celebrity is being Dick Tracy found its roots locally in, in Chicago, right? And you you became friends with uh, Chester Gould. We'll talk a little bit about that later on, the, the, the original artist and writer of the comic strip. Um, so you, you moved to Pottstown and you become the chief of police and now that, that notoriety almost, or, or that celebrity takes a step into the, the you know, a forward almost on a national level. So tell us about your 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 appearance on, uh, I remember I was in first grade when this happened, so tell us about your appearance as Mr. X on What's My Line. Yeah, I was on What's My Line. I was on To Tell the Truth. And one of, one of the appearances, I was with the uh, writer of the Dick Tracy comic strip, uh, and I was pretending that I was him, and then at the end of the show, I was to say, and my name is Dick Tracy. My, right, right. Yeah, my name is really Dick Tracy. And you're right, it, it did have almost, so I was on those three programs, plus when I, when I was assigned as chief of Pottstown, I got international press because some of the, famous columnists picked up the notion that that's not a joke that Tracy is the chief of police of Pottstown, Pennsylvania. And it, it, it also helped me do the work in Pottstown, which was largely a, a small town, very much like the town we we lived in when we moved here, because Oro Valley was about 19,000 when we moved here. We'll get to that later. It was a small town, very little crime. A lot of it was interacting and providing service to the community. And I, I was a strong proponent of the concept of crime prevention. And the, the crime check program, which we had in Chicago, was being uh, um, developed by the International Association of Chiefs of Police as a national crime prevention program called Crime Stoppers. When they published that program, I was the first police department in Pottstown to have their version of this program in our community. And all the brochures had my name signed on them. And even when they were sending their publicity packets out to other departments, they would send my name out to those departments, which further enhanced the uh, of course, I signed it Richard J. Tracy, right? But uh, the Dick Tracy d did not escape. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, that the pamphlets um, had a spot where you could tape two dimes to the pamphlets. You could always carry around 
20 cents to call the police from a payphone if if you want to report a crime does is i'm almost embarrassed you remember these things better than i do but i the, no, i remember actually, that as a i kid. don't remember 20 cents because <laughs> well, i thought in those days a phone call was only a dime but okay it, it, well, it, we'll it, drop a dime is that's yeah, kind of where it, that came from so that's right. It was it was a dime. So I just want to I just want to go back to the appearance on what's my line as Mr. X. My my fondest memory of that was not only did it make me a celebrity in kindergarten, because the principal came in the day after the show appeared, and you know entered you know talked about it to all the kids in the class and and the teacher. But I remember watching the show that uh, Soupy Sales, who was a comedian back at that time, when he heard that you were Dick Tracy, what what did he do? Honestly, I don't remember. Okay, well, he got up. It's the only time I've ever seen him. He got up, walked from his seat at the panel, and walked around to where you were sitting to shake your hand. Okay. And well, now I feel better because now I remember something you don't. Yeah, no, so you're, I, you're right. I don't. I don't remember <laughs> that. I re, I remember some of the people on the panel, like Dorothy Kilgallen was one of them at Soupy Sales. And right. It was a. It was an interesting experience. They paid my. Paid my way for a trip to New York for the for the uh, taping of right for that the appearance. Right, was, was very interesting experience. Yeah, that, and uh, so while we were in Pottstown, one of my fondest memories of living there was there was a semi-pro football team there that that gained some notoriety uh, on the East Coast and later on, kind of nationwide. After NFL Films did a couple of uh, a couple of uh, uh, movies about them or a couple of their documentaries about them the Pottstown Firebirds right now I remember we were we were uh, big fans of the Firebirds we went to every game and that's again sitting in the stands of Pottstown High School watching the Firebirds play we even went to some of the away games Hartford we were we went to Hartford Connecticut yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so now the NFL films did a did a, uh, a documentary. Uh, they did two of them, actually. They did one kind of at the time, and then 20 years later, 30 years later, they did another one where they talked about where people were now and where they had been. But in the original documentary, there was a there was a reference to kind of the character of Pottstown and the fact that Pottstown was a was a very interesting place. And they were almost trying to make it almost cartoonish, which. I guess if the your name is Dick Tracy, cartoonish always kind of plays into yeah. it, right? But but uh, they they were talking about one of the players on the team that uh, had a cocaine habit that had been arrested, but you know was in and out of trouble with the police. Yeah, I remember and, him well. Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> and 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 still managed to play some football in between his right. stints in in the, you know the jail and in court. Um, but then uh, uh, they actually said, and if you believe this. The chief of police is named Dick Tracy, so you actually got a got a little shout out in the uh, in the NFL films, the original NFL films of of Dick Tracy. And they, I remember they cut to someone, a picture of someone standing there in a uniform. And I remember when I first saw it, I'm like, well, that's not you. But so yeah, <laughs> so they you, cut to someone in a uniform right. that wasn't you. Yeah. I actually contacted him afterwards and said, "I'm still around. If you want me in that picture, I'll come. I'll come in." <laughs> So um, I, I remember uh, we, we lived just a few blocks from the mayor. Again, Pottstown was a small town, and uh, we were friends with, you know, I was friends with his daughter and all those kind of things, and, and he was kind of one of your supporters. And, and about five years into your tenure, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Mayor Sohoza lost the election, 
And so kind of tell us, I mean, you know, this is not something that anybody that's ever been a police chief of any town doesn't fall victim to. And that's kind of the, the, the politics of the moment. So, oh, absolutely. So, that, so tell us a little bit about that and then what you decided to do with that. Yeah, one of, one of the conditions when you become a chief or city manager or one of those is you take almost an ethical statement to your boss that if you can no longer work for them, that you will look elsewhere. So they don't have to fire you, you'll separate. So this turned, uh, after five years, you're right, there was an election, and the uh, guy that was elected mayor was not a fan of law enforcement. And he didn't particularly like me. So they had asked me to look for another job. So they gave me a buyout and gave me time to look for a job, and we separated very, very nicely. And I went over to the uh, post office to close a post office box that I had established for tips and clues to be sent to the police department as part of this crime prevention program that um, uh, I had instituted, the Crime Stop, the, the uh, Pottstown Crime Stopper program, and. When I was walking across the street to close the uh, that um, mailbox, a, a gentleman that I recognized, but I didn't know his name, got out of a car and stood and waited for me to get across the street and said to me, Chief, you're doing the right thing. He said, when you're being run out of town, make it look like you're leading a parade. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll never, I'll never, that's one of the highlights of my career, is making it look like I was leading a parade. So, so you, you, we left Pottstown and we moved, we moved closer to Chicago, but we were still in Pennsylvania. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the, the next stop in your career? Yeah, that, that was an interesting job. There was a uh, federally funded, there was a lot of federal money making to communities trying to enhance law enforcement. There was a lot of small towns in southwestern Pennsylvania underneath Pittsburgh where they wanted to consolidate them eventually. Well, small towns would virtually never consolidate or give up their police departments. But my job there was called Director of Regional Police, and it was really a, a function where we would help coordinate what the local departments were doing and to enhance them with, uh, I had a staff of uh, a detective sergeant, a detective and a youth officer and another assistant for um, administration and we would aid the local departments to enhance their capability. Right, and you also had a team of detectives that kind of investigated major crimes in right. the southwestern part of the state. Right, right? well in, in, in our communities Right. which were about 10 communities from New Eagle, Pennsylvania, down to California, Pennsylvania, which included Manesson, Denora, Shalroy. If anybody knows southwestern Pennsylvania, that's the area. Now, one of the things I remember most about living in Monongahela was that we actually got to see Joe Montana play high school football. That's correct. Because he was, uh, he was a quarterback at Ringgold High School uh, back in those days, and, and he graduated, went on to Notre Dame, and of course... You know, went on to be a, a NFL Hall of Famer, but we saw him play high school football. And his father owned a department or a, a hardware store in downtown uh, downtown Monongahela. 
So we were there for, oh, and I want to say this, uh, uh, the governor of Pennsylvania at the time was Richard Thornburg, right? And he is the one that, uh, that ran the program, uh, or, or when the funding ended, he was the governor of Pennsylvania. Yeah, because he was a United States attorney for a while, too. Well, he was the attorney general. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's that's what I want to uh, that's what I want to say. I'm going to interject a quick little thing about me here. Is fast forward in my career to early 1991. I'm at a I'm providing security as a deputy U.S. marshal, a very young one at that point, for a U.S. attorneys conference that is being held in Chicago, and the attorney general is there, and um, I, I wound up in a spot by accident, not on purpose, where. The attorney general was uh, shaking hands with people that were there at the conference, and and I was supposed to be standing a post, but he reached his hand out to me to shake my hand, and so I introduced myself to him. I says, "I'm with the U.S. Marshals. My name is Richard Tracy," and he said, "You know, he said we had a guy in southwestern Pennsylvania by that name that uh, you know that worked on this federal program," and I said. I said, I said, yes, sir, that, that's my father. So mm-hmm. he, he said, make sure you tell your dad hello for me. And yeah. then he went on down the line. But I had, it was just kind of interesting that, number one, he remembered that all those years yeah. later. He was a know. great guy. Yeah, that's 25 years after that, all, yeah. 25, 26 years after that. And, um, you know, he, he asked me to pass along, which I think I, I even called you from the site to tell you yeah. that I had had that experience. So, um, so all of this time, that you're that you're in Pottstown and in the southwestern Pennsylvania, living in Monongahela, you were still on leave of absence as a Chicago police right. sergeant, right? And every so often, you you'd have to go back to take a test or take a promotion test, or right. I mean, you you would still keep your whatever you had to do to maintain that leave of absence. You, you maintain that while while you were gone, right? right. So then, uh, as I understand it, the the funding for that program was not going to be renewed, so. Right, the federal the federal money was running out. Right. And so what I did was I got another year's grant for our program and turned it over to local people because if I waited another year, I knew the program would not survive. But by leaving, it made it local and gave the locals the opportunity to see the value in it and to, and to continue the program. And So when I got the, the uh, a year of... Grant that I left and came back to Chicago. Okay. Because I was going to make lieutenant. Right, right. You were, you were, you, you had gone and taken, you know, while you were gone, you had gone back and taken promotion tests and you were on the lieutenant's list. Right, and, that's correct. And you, and you, you could speculate given the number of vacancies and all those kind of things that, that you would likely be promoted lieutenant if you came back to Chicago as a sergeant. So you, you left, uh, we left southwestern Pennsylvania in 1975, right, and moved back back to Chicago, to the southwest side, right by Midway Airport for, again, our Chicago. There's a lot of people here from Chicago that know exactly what we're talking about because police police officers had to live in the city at that time. There, right. there was no, they had a, what they called a residency requirement. Absolutely. So, so we went back to Chicago, and I spent, we spent the rest of our lives until we got to Arizona, me first, and, and you a you, few years afterwards. Um, so tell us a little bit about you came back as a sergeant, and then not long after that you you made lieutenant. That's correct, right? And what what were some of your assignments as a as a sergeant and lieutenant uh, well, up until just just up until before you made captain? Yeah, actually, the the distinction between a lieutenant and a sergeant was really not that much different. 
in part of the, in part of the structure of the police department, uh, a, a lieutenant would be in charge of four or five sergeants who were each in charge of 10 to 12 men. So that would be the lieutenant's role. The sergeant's role would then be supervisor, and the lieutenant's role would be one of starting to tend towards management, where you lean towards implementing the policies of the police department. So I did, you're exactly right, I did come back to make lieutenant for that purpose. I did that for nine years, and I was in patrol, which meant which meant I was in a district station and I was supervised sergeants for a captain in charge of the watch who worked for the district commander who was the person in charge of the uh, of the district that the we worked district, in. Right. And I remember as a kid we would when you were in the tenth district we, we had a police scanner and we would uh, we would listen to the tenth district to hear and wait to hear you come up on the radio, and and you you'd always tell us that you'd uh, come up and find a reason to, to get on the radio for for one reason or another just so we could just so we could hear you talk. So you'd, you'd come up and ask somebody and meet you somewhere or something. And, yeah. and we always thought either either if you didn't really have to meet them, it was just so we could hear you as uh, my brothers and me talk on the talk uh, hear you talk on the radio. So. Um, and, and I, I'm assuming that your your time in management as a police chief and then as this administrator, uh, you know, the director uh, in southwestern Pennsylvania really gave you a leg up on how to how to manage and lead people in your roles as a lieutenant and a captain because they were tend more towards, you know, pushing down the program of the department as opposed to first line supervision of police officers. I agree with that. The thing the thing was, it's a set of skills that I had developed over the years, almost by accident, just because of what I said earlier about persistence and determination. Those were my my capstones in my life, but it was providing the service, doing the job, knowing the job, and working to get to the best position that I could in my career. And of course, the next step after lieutenant was captain. So I took the test for captain, was on the list long enough that, that he got down and took my name off the list, which meant they prom- they promoted me. And uh, then when I was a captain, I worked as a commanding officer of a unit for a while, which was a, a half a step up from being a captain to being a commander. I did that for two and a half years, then went back into being a captain again in a district because of the needs of the department. And then retired as a captain in 97. Right. So, again, uh, math not being my thing, if you take your your law enforcement career, right, May of 1956 to January 1997, you're talking about just shy of 41 years. A little over 41. Right, yeah, in the law enforcement profession, and roughly 33 of those were with the Chicago Police Department. Yeah, 34. Right, right. Right. Good. So, yeah, see, maybe I... Maybe I should have been an engineer. Yeah. Uh, so uh, maybe I should have been a school teacher. Without correcting you. <laughs> so thanks, Dad, for that. Uh, so so um, in 1993, I move to Tucson, Arizona, and I'm looking at the time. We've we've really flown through this hour. I won't get into the reasons why, but part of the reasons why part of the reason why was because. Everybody that I was, when I was working my job in Chicago with the marshals and we go out on the street to look for fugitives and whatnot, we'd pop into either a Chicago police station 
or a suburban police station, and we didn't introduce ourselves. And the second somebody heard my name, they would immediately usher us into the chief or the captain or the district commander because everybody in Chicago, in the law enforcement community, if they didn't know you personally, at least had heard of you, right? So I, I being young and probably not so smart at the time, I said, I got to go out and make it on my own. So I, uh, I moved to Tucson in 1993 and uh, about two and a half years in, into my career and realized uh, I, I was doing much better with uh, everybody in town knowing you and letting me, <laughs> <laughs> let me have the information. So, so I moved here in 1993, tried to kind of strike out on my own. And then uh, when you retired in 97, you eventually moved to Oro Valley. Right. So, so we're going to talk about that a little bit and spend the few minutes we have left with what you've done again still in public service in the meantime but i just want to say that it was literally six months into you moving to to oro valley that i had a conversation with a police officer up in oro valley and he said hey are you dick tracy's kid <laughs> so it literally so i i moved out from arizona away from that did okay for four you know three or four years and then you retired six months later i'm dick tracy's kid again and that was when i decided it was good just to live with that and i would embrace it and obviously uh, uh obviously did so so now you come out here as a retiree and but you weren't you weren't done in public service so i'm just going to kind of we've got about four and a half minutes left. So I'm just going to kind of let you kind of freeform what you've done in the community of Oro Valley in, in law enforcement and otherwise with, with some of the time we have left. Okay. I, I felt in retirement that I still ought to stay uh, publicly involved. And fortunately, shortly after the time that you just mentioned, they were hiring a new police chief in Oro Valley. And the, the mayor who became aware of my background asked me to serve on the Citizens Committee to interview for the person to recommend to the council for police chief. And that person was Danny Sharp, who then became the police chief and served with distinction as far as I personally am concerned for 20-some years. And uh, Danny and I are friends, and uh, I met with him very frequently where we would just kick things around and talk about administration because... I actually lived through the kinds of things he was going through as a new chief of police. So in addition to that particular personal relationship, I became, I was assigned by the mayor of uh, Oro Valley to the Oro Valley Police Retirement Board. And I serve, I've served on that board now for over 10 years, which deals with retirement of police officers from the state services plan. And uh, in addition to that, I'm in charge of the Citizens Corps Council. I'm the chair of the Citizens Corps Council, which is Homeland Security at the local level, which actually could take a whole nother hour if you want to get into what, what they do, because their function is to capture disparate various groups of uh, volunteers and organize them so that in the event of an emergency, they're available to serve the community. Well, it, so then if that means that, I'm sorry, but that means that then the community is prepared better than it would not be if it didn't do that. Well, if uh, if we don't get run out of town for this 
hour of radio maybe we'll have you we'll have you come back we'll talk about citizens court council because it is a it is an important important topic and uh, i know they do a lot of great work for the for smaller towns and and all over so how about the uh the first the veterans and first responders memorial up in Oro valley we'll kind of close with that okay unfortunately with the covid thing that's been put pretty much on hiatus but i expect any day now or in the very near future, that will pop up on the radar. And that's something that I am very interested in. This is a, um, in in a in the Ronhop Town Park in Oro Valley, they have the uh, land set aside for a um, monuments and uh, memorials for service men of all the services, first responders and uh, uh that's headed by Dick Eggerding, who's a town mover and shaker and friend of, also a friend of mine, proud to say. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting on board that in the very near future. Right. You're kind of one of the founding, kind of one of the founding members of the board. I was, of, I was the on board. the original board of that, right, yeah. Right. So um, we, we've got we've got about a minute left, so I want to, uh, you know, we, we have, uh, I calculate, again, last time I'm going to do math, Right, but you're from the time you joined the Navy until today is roughly 69 years in public service of one time or another. So I think that's something that should uh, I would applaud, but it probably doesn't sound well on radio. It doesn't sound good on radio, but coming from your son, yeah, 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 exactly. So uh, with the time we have left, uh, just give us some idea. Of what advice would you give to any young police officer out there that's looking to? to move up and get out of their career again. We've got about 30 seconds left, so I probably should have left more time. What I have said earlier is the most important thing. That is, as an individual, to have spunk, to have drive. I call it persistence and dedication. Have goals and work towards attaining those goals, and you will be successful. All right. Thank you very much. This hour went by fast. I ever could have thought it's... Rich Tracy here sitting in for Sherry Harrison with Captain Dick Tracy. Have a good day. Hi, this is Rich inviting you to join Law Matters live show every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. On our next show, Assistant U.S. Attorney Kevin Rapp explains mortgage fraud and what you need to be aware of. We can't do these shows without your support. Please join our 1030 challenge by making a monthly tax-deductible donation of $10.30. For more information, go to lawmatters1030.org. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and at lawmatters1030.org. KVOI Cortero, AM 1030, the voice of Tucson. Trusted local news and talk. A Bustos media station.